0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Wall Trip Unfiltered. Hope you've enjoyed our guests we've had this year. We've had some great ones from Ross Chastain, the Watermelon Buster, Cole Custer, the Custer Cole guy. <laughs> and also Haley Deegan, who will be back. Just stay tuned. She's going to come here to the studio, to the plush Fox Sports Studios and visit us here. Today, I'm alongside CJ, the social media guru for Fox Sports producer Ford's over in the corner and our guest for Walter Fun Filtered is Michael Walter. That's right, it's me. I'm going to talk about my career, all the things that have been fun for me, the ups and downs I've experienced, and just generally hang out with a couple of buddies, CJ and Ford, and talk racing. And we want you to listen along and tell your friends about us. You can tell them to add us along with you on their favorite podcast app, you can also go to the Fox Sports YouTube channel and see video of all the fun that we have here, and uh, Twitter, Facebook, anything Fox Sports, anything Michael Waltrip Racing related. We will find you, we will see what your question is, and we will hear your comments, and your voice will become as loud as mine. How's that feel? It's all coming up right now, so stay tuned. Peace, because be ready. Green flag, green flag. All clear, buddy, all clear. Well, here we are. It's me. With me, (laughs) that's a little bit weird, but alongside me today, I have a couple of guys that their faces are very familiar down in the garage area. It's CJ with Fox Sports. You host Hot Pass along with uh, the Waltrip Unfiltered and all things
1: social media for Fox Sports. So thank you for joining us. How's your morning? It's it's going good. Thank you so much for having me. This is kind of a dream come true, Mikey. If you told me six, seven years ago I was going to be a part of Michael Waltrip's podcast, no, I wouldn't have believed you. So th- thank you very much for having me. This is cool. There's a lot of kids or, or, or folks growing up, going
0: to college that dream of how they're going to wind up in the NASCAR world, whether they're going to be a, a tire changer or an engineer or on the on the media side. And so I get it because when I was a kid, I wanted to be a racer. That's all I could think about was getting to North Carolina to go racing. And when I got here and was racing against Richard Petty, I, I'm like you, I couldn't believe it. It, it all worked out. So uh, I'm glad that that your dreams are coming true, and I think your future is bright around here. Everybody has so much uh, good things to say, not only about your personality, but your work with the content that goes over the over the wide world web for Fox Sports, so good job.
1: Well, thank you, and you make that pretty easy on us, Mikey. You give us cool stuff to talk about and show every week, so thank you for that, too. You're welcome. And producer Ford's over there in the corner. How you doing, buddy?
2: I'm doing good, man. Thanks for having me on as well. It's, it's a blast.
0: And uh, like I said, these guys have credentials, and they're around the sport in the garage area. Ford's dad... Uh, Gil was a longtime crew chief in the NASCAR series, still works in NASCAR. And he is a turn reporter for MRN. So anytime you hear a a voice coming from turn six or seven in mid-Ohio this weekend... It's probably going to be Ford.
2: Yeah, it's going to be a blast. Mid-Ohio is a great race uh, racetrack and uh, looking forward to it. We might have some weather this weekend, so it could be. it's always interesting when we go to Mid-Ohio.
0: Can I tell you something, Ford? You are going to have some weather this weekend. It's either going to be good or it's going to be bad, but you're going to have weather.
2: Well, I, I'm bringing my rain jacket, bringing my rain boots, and I'll be on top of the big scoring tower at Mid-Ohio, so it's... I mean, either going to get really wet or it's going to be really hot. So, looking forward to it. <sighs> Thanks, Ford. And, man, what about the racing this past weekend at Watkins Glen? We were just talking about mid-Ohio
0: coming up for the Xfinity boys. But the uh, Saturday and Sunday races, both at Watkins Glen, were action-packed. That pursuit, like as a racer, a guy that's been behind the wheel for 30-some years, when you saw Martin Truex just tracking down Chase Elliott and, and making ground and losing ground, that pursuit, the precision of the driving – by those two throughout those final heck 30 20 30 laps was just I can't imagine how people at home can watch it and see it and understand it's great but then flip inside that driver's seat and and be Chase Elliott having to be precise on every corner and Martin Truex at one point I think he laid back and cooled off his tires to try to get another run at Chase it just it was everything I wanted I like the whole race I know Chase dominated, but I tell you what, guys, that race at Watkins Glen reminded me so much of Martinsville earlier in the season, and it's crazy to say, but Brad Keselowski led like 430-some laps. He led the whole thing. He dominated, but late in the race, Chase Elliott was there. He was tracking him down, and it looked like he was going to pass him and win the race, and so that kind of drama the uncertainty of how it's going to turn out with chase dominating and then martin come calling uh
1: that 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 was good stuff it, it really was and we had quite a few questions come in uh about watkins glenn about the race this weekend beverly actually tweeted and wanted to know how difficult is it really to navigate watkins glenn to stay in that mindset every lap
0: well i i really enjoyed the road racing um Back when I did it. And Watkins Glen was so different than Sears Point, for example. Sonoma Raceway um, is a short track. You, you, you race it like a short track. You gotta have a lot of forward traction, uh, there's a lot of slow corners, heavy braking while Watkins Glen is more of a super speedway of a road course, you really haul around that place. And um, that, that makes them very much different, uh, the way you attack them and even the way you set up your car. So uh, I, I enjoyed the challenges of it. But I just remember when I was a racer, you'd wake up on Sunday morning and you'd be confident. You know, you'd had a good practice. Your car was handling well. Heck, maybe you qualified up in the top 10 and you're like, I'm going to attack this place and I'm going to get out of here and maybe have a shot to win it when the day's over. And then you start thinking how how challenging that actually is. You've got 30 other cars, 30, 40 other cars out there with you. You've got heavy braking zones, so you've got to make sure you, you take care of your brake. You're going to shift your transmission 10, 15 times during the course of a lap. I mean, nothing can go wrong. you got to be perfect in every aspect, and every element. So it's the same on an oval, but it's a little simpler. Uh, It's not simpler to beat the competition because what's hard about NASCAR is how fast everyone is. But, but your job of getting to the checker flag, I think is easier when you think about Charlotte or say Martinsville, even when you, they throw the green, you put it in high and then you just take care of your brakes and your car and you drive this place, you know, you're doing all that. And then you got to throw over here and, and change gear. So to be able to execute and, and, and make all those shifts perfectly and, and get to the checkered flag with all the the hard intense racing that you see on the road courses i think the difficulty the degree of difficulty for me is definitely higher when we go to watkins Glen, and i think it's evident by some of the things we saw at watkins with uh, kyle bush getting getting uh into it with bubba wallace and with william byron and uh, ryan blaney jimmy johnson there's just there's going to be confrontation. You know, and and I think that backs up what I said about the degree, degree of difficulty. There's going to be confrontation because there's so many turns, which means more opportunities to piss somebody off, and and there's just there's just more work you have to do, and boy, that that battle between Truex and and um, <clears throat> excuse me, the battle at the end of the race between Chase and Truex, that was that was incredible. But then. The pushing and shoving and all the drama in the middle,
1: that was kind of fun, too, for us fans. So, at the end of the race, I always there's content that we have to push here on, on Twitter and Facebook. That was one of the first races where there was so much to talk about with Chase winning and all the run-ins. We actually got a little overwhelmed at the end trying to figure out which video to push first. So, that tells you it was a good race. I think I would push the um, the, the, the,
0: the late win, the checker. See if this is – I'm going to do your job okay, since perfect. I'm doing mine now. Or I'm – I don't know who I am. But, but I think the video, if I was going to build a piece, it would be the video of Chase taking the checkered and doing his burnout. That was that was pretty cool, even though he ran out of gas. He got to celebrate with the fans. And he said it kind of feels like his home track up there with, you know, the wins a couple years in a row. So the, the excitement and intensity with him. And then I would show Bubba and and Kyle pushing around and maybe hear some video from Bubba saying he didn't give a crap. And then I might have to hear from Chad Canals telling William Byron he needed to hit that other guy. He didn't want to see him come back, which was fun. But I think the, 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 the best part, no, i not. Uh, equally as good was Jimmy and Ryan trying to sort out their differences because Jimmy was mad. And, and Ryan said, Yeah, I messed up, but I didn't mean to. Not meaning to makes you feel a little bit better on about Wednesday. Not meaning to, when somebody wrecked you on Sunday, doesn't mean anything, and it's not even much better on Monday or Tuesday. But by Wednesday, you're like, you know, we all race, we make mistakes. Damn it, hate that happen, but we'll go get them at Michigan, uh, and and they'll they'll put that behind them. But I just that just shows you the passion. That's that's what's going to happen when you have a race like like um, Watkins Glen, and and what we're going to see this weekend for the Xfinity guys at Mid Ohio, and then I think another interesting thing for us this weekend that we get to look at is it's the final race of the regular season for our truckers. And they're going go to go to Michigan and settle out who gets that last playoff spot. And it's certainly up for grabs. There's four or five guys just below the cut line that if one of them win and and Matt Crafton doesn't, he's out. And Matt Crafton can make it in, but he he needs to win. And so we've, we've got – I'm saying we got five guys for one spot. And that's pretty cool to race our whole regular season – and be heading to a place like Michigan, that we've seen such dramatic finishes. Man, you remember when Brett Moffitt went up into the high on the high side and turned one into the gray area of the racetrack and made a pass three wide to take the lead? I think he only led the the last lap to win that race at Michigan, and then he had another dramatic win there last year, getting the pass on the last lap. And then it goes all the way back to. To Travis Quapple and heck, I don't even remember who all was battling in there, but they were three, two, two wide and bouncing off each other, <clears throat> coming to the checkered. So, our truckers always put on great racing at Michigan. So, look forward to that on FS1 this weekend. And then also, the traction compound is back. Michigan has said they're going to put the the sticky stuff, the darker area, into the track all the way out to the outside wall. I love that. You know, the more the more room we have to race up high. I think the better it makes the racing uh, in two thousand nineteen, and I think that was evident. did y'all agree with Pocono with when they when they added it there uh, Denny Hamlin credited it with him being able to get that win because he had an option he had another groove he could go in down there so um more lanes is always is always a good a good thing yeah unless you're at Darlington and then the wall the wall corrects you're needing another lane there and so the, it's a different type of action, but I think in a big wide sweeping track like MIS that that traction compound will make for some for some fun racing up there and in fact since we're talking about michigan international speedway um i'm going to tell you one of my favorite xfinity moments uh, and it came at at mis and it was back in um it must have been 99 we'll have to make sure we got to check my memory and check the stats but I was racing for the win and I got beat. And I ran second and it was a car that we built behind our house out there at Sherl's Ford and it, it it was you know we were really running well and winning winning a few races here and there and I I don't remember who beat me but I just remember I was just right right there and couldn't get the job done. And I walked in the driver's meeting on Sunday morning, and the driver's meeting setting, as I as I recall back to the 90s and back in the day, it, it was much more casual. You know, now they got all these beautiful video screens, and the fans are around, and they can watch the, 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 the video telling the drivers the procedures for the day. Uh, back on this day, it was just you know, fold-out chairs and sitting on the garage floor and a podium where, uh, where Dick Beatty, our series director, would go up there and tell us about uh, what what we needed to, to look out for on that day. And I walked in, and Dale Earnhardt was sitting on the front row of, of the driver's meeting, and and I just shook my head. He said, you got your ass beat, didn't you? And I said, yeah, yeah, I did. He said, well, you're going to have that, but uh, if you'd, you should have probably just got up there and get him a little bit. Maybe maybe got a little closer to him. You might have could have got by him. And I thought when I went to my seat, I'm like, <clears throat> if I could have got closer to him, I would have. Like I tried my hardest, but I couldn't quite get there. <laughs> but just having just having those memories of of when when guys like that call you out, you know, when you're a kid coming up, I remember them so well. My brother mostly just you know trying to help me, but but their help sometimes was you you just you would you would wonder did they did they not see what i saw you know i i was i was driving my butt off to try to get to that guy and um i, I like thinking about those memories and the reason why i said my favorite xfinity memory i was racing with todd bodine late in the race and he kind of crowded me a little bit and i don't know if if subconsciously it it was the memory of Dale in the driver's meeting time telling me to get up against him. But when Todd crowded me a little bit, I, cl- I clobbered him. I just turned right into him because I'm like, this track is wide enough for six cars to go by, and you're squeezing me. And so I, I turned into him. And when I turned into him, he I had been leading, and he was catching me. I, uh, I just happened to catch his right front fender and and pushed it in. And obviously, it's a really aero-sensitive racetrack. And that little move of getting against Todd, hitting his right front – uh, I went down into turn one and passed him and, and drove off six eight car links and won the race so um, getting against him while I thought on that day uh, in in 99 in the garage area in the driver's meeting was was not sound advice I didn't see how it was relevant I don't know that I would have I guess I would have thought of getting against him anyway, but, you know, you learn from those moments with those superstars like that.
1: And, and that's actually a really good segue into our first Reddit question. Uh, from Overtime Line 29 he wants to know, was Dale Sr. a better friend or boss? I, I, I unfortunately didn't get to spend
0: many, um, I didn't get to spend long uh, as as him being my boss. So we were friends from the late 80s, throughout the nineties. And we would, um, go on vacation together, our families and, and, um, we would, we would go fishing and, and fart around his farm and just hang out and talk about racing. And, and while we were talking about racing, it, it always, you know, was the same. It was like, you'd, you'd win if you drove for me. And, and I would always say, well, let me drive for you then. But it just, it never worked out. And in fact, I don't know. Um, how many people know but he got me the ride with the wood brothers i was um i was at the 30 car back in 95 and they were looking to make a change for 96 and i was too and dale put put all that together he said michael win if you go if if he comes and drives for y'all and um we uh we we worked the deal out and had some good runs in in 96 and then headed to the to the all-star race in may of of 96 and got the win. Um, <clears throat> I tell you that just to tell you that he he was he was my buddy and he helped me behind the scenes. And then eventually, when when we worked it out for me to come drive for him, the thing that I was most excited about and looked forward to was was obviously having his fast cars and being on his team. But then on on Monday after I didn't win and and. Things didn't go like I wanted them to. What what kind of direction? What I wanted. I think they all thought that I was a pretty good driver, but he also thought maybe I hadn't done a good job of managing my career, and and he wanted to take that over. And so I think that I, I really started my engine uh, for the for the 500 in 2001 with so much optimism, so much confidence that I was going to win the Daytona 500, but but I was going to go win Rockingham, and I was going to go win at Vegas, I was going to go win Atlanta. That's that's where I was, and the reason why I knew I could do those things is because if 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 things weren't going great, I had a mentor, I had a guy I could lean on to say, you know, my car's doing this, what I need to think about, and and so winning the the 500 for him was was um, something that I just was you know ecstatic about being able to deliver to him because he believed in me, but. But I was more excited about the, the next week and the next, and just being on his team. And so the question was: Was he a better boss or a friend? Well, he was—he was a great friend, and he—he he was a great boss. You know, obviously w- with me driving for him under under his direction, I was one for one, and I'd been zero for four sixty-two before that. And we were able to win a few more races, and and um, but but you know just just not having my my friend around and or my boss was was something that I missed for a long time and I would go to the racetrack but not necessarily mentally be there for a while and and uh, that was kind of that was kind of strange because I'd always just wanted to be at a racetrack and now I was you know right where I wan- always wanted to be and I sometimes didn't want to be there but um yeah that's a long answer to a short question but but I think that covers it.
1: No, it's great, and it, it's so great to get to hear these little stories about Dale that we we've never heard, and things that he said, and kind of today the way you get to know drivers and things that they're saying is Twitter. So another Twitter question came in that wanted to know if Dale had a Twitter. What do you think he would have said after Watkins Glen the other day? <laughs> I think he would have said, "Hell yeah!" <laughs> Exclamation point! Uh, go get it, boys!
0: Get after it! Let's mix it up and have some fun. Uh, I, you know, I almost think of Dale, you think of Twitter and Dale. I, I know he wouldn't. I know he wouldn't say. I know he wouldn't pick fights on there. Like he wouldn't. He wouldn't necessarily say. Say air his laundry uh, with other drivers on Twitter. He would have handled that face to face. But I do think that that Dale had a. Was very smart. Had a had a, big view of our sport and he might would, would use Twitter to help people understand his direction and what he would do if he were in charge. And, and, heck, if he was still here, he probably would be in charge of NASCAR would be my guess. And, you know, not not a lot of people know this. Dale was a big hunter-fisherman, obviously, outdoorsman. But uh, any time I ever came in his office, he was on his computer, always looking to see and um, seeing what was going on in uh with the business, you know, parts and pieces, but also in, in the world. Uh, I have a funny story about that too, since we're, we're on Dale a bit. Um, I went and ran the Boston marathon in 2000. So I raced in Talladega on Sunday. I think I was, I think I was three, I was either three wide for the lead or the second. Like we were, we were racing for the lead in the middle of the race and got crashed which that's not surprising it happens right so got crashed got on the plane flew to boston got up the next morning like at four in the morning drove out 20 some miles obviously to hopkington hopkington is that where it is that's how you say it hopkington uh, drove out there laid on the ground in a, in a you know on a tarp waiting for the the green flag for the boston marathon Obviously, not ideal circumstances for for me to uh, to, to run the the marathon, but um, I, I'd been sponsored by SitGo, and the iconic SitGo sign at Fenway is there, and they, they had told me if I ever wanted to run Boston, let them know, and I said I'm I'm ready to give it a try, and so I take off running. By the way, when you when you get a spot in the Boston Marathon. You either earned it via your time in a qualifying race or you get an exemption like me. And and it looked like about, I don't know, a thousand other people did for some reason or another. Um, And my exemption was because SitGo got me in. And I just wanted to experience it. I wanted to see what it was like. And running for 26 miles and having all those people on the side of the road cheering you and bands playing – it was really a cool experience. And so Buffy is at the start-finish line with, with Macy and, and some of my family. And her phone rings, and it's Dale. And he said, Buffy, what's wrong with Michael? She said, I, I don't know, Dale. What do you mean? She said, he said, he's not even halfway done yet, and some of them other guys are already finished. He's, he's like running 14,610th. What, what's, what's going on? <laughs> She's, she said, well, he's just doing this for the fun of it. And those guys are actually premier athletes. And and, and so he, he got a kick out of, of making fun of me for not not running very fast. But after the marathon was over and I was, I was able to recoup and go back to the race the next week, it, it really – Boston inspired me. I always had a goal when I'd run. I ran three. That that was my third marathon, and my goal was to break three, four hours. I just wanted to run something in the threes because I felt like that if anybody could run a marathon, if you're hard-headed, you just run until you're done no matter how long it takes. But it's a bit of an athletic accomplishment to run a, a marathon in less than four hours. And so my fourth and final marathon was Las Vegas in 2005. And I ran it in 3.55. So goal accomplished, and I was kind of like Forrest Gump. I said, I think
1: I'm done running now. And <laughs> think I think <haven't... laughs> I'll go home now. <laughs> I haven't I, run anymore. I've worked with you for years, Mikey, and the, the Marathon Dale story is one of – I've heard you tell that just a couple other times. That's one of my favorites. It cracks me up every time. I yeah, love it's it. pretty, pretty funny
0: that, that he was uh, – I could envision him, too, sitting at home with, with his glasses on
1: at his computer, uh, following along the Boston Marathon. That's pretty cool. (laughs) Watching timing and scoring. Uh, Another Twitter question that came in, this one came in from John. He wants to know, what's your favorite memory racing as Dale Jr.'s teammate? That would be just, well, The first, the
0: best memory, the first memory was Daytona 01 because Dale hired me, and I was Dale's friend. I wasn't Dale Jr.'s friend, I mean. He was around, but he's younger and single and crazy, and I'm married with a with a baby, and so we never we never talked. You know, we never said anything really, and and the the start of the 2001 Daytona 500, uh, Dale had told me on Friday that we were going to work together. Me, him, and Dale Jr. were going to work together and win this race. That's how it had to happen. If we were going to win, we had to use each other. So fast forward through. 400 miles, 450 miles of racing uh, and a big crash where Tony Stewart catapulted down the back straightaway, 20 cars involved. Fast forward through all that, there's, you know, red flag with 20-some to go because of that crash for Tony. And I look in my mirror, and there's Setsdale Jr. and Dale. We're one, two, three. I mean, that was the most incredible moment that I've ever experienced in behind the wheel of a car because I thought, how did he know that? How how did he see this? And so then my attention turned to Dale Jr. I hadn't really thought about you know us three necessarily being in that position, and and then there we were. And I remember looking in the mirror and I was like, Dale said we're going to work together. I wonder if he told Dale Jr. that because I don't know. I don't know what's he going to do. And so we pushed and and we ran. We ran together, like, like Dale had said, all the way to the checkered. And I did Dale Jr.'s podcast uh, a month or so ago. And I told him, and, and people found it interesting, that, you know, until I sat down at that podcast, we really never, that's the first time we'd really ever talked about anything. Like anything that was, was deep or profound or, or sentimental, we just never talked about it. And I tell you that to say that we went to Talladega for the May race and we still hadn't talked about, you know, working together. It just seemed that everywhere we would go run, we would wind up 1-2. We'd wind up in the front. And we, we raced hard and we respected one another. But I think th- my favorite memory was looking back in the mirror at 2001 and seeing him sitting there and wonder, what was he thinking? what's he, what's he going to, what's he, is he going to play along? Does he know? And then, and then the, the subsequent success we had racing in, on the big tracks, going to, to Daytona and Talladega repeatedly and, and being in the front and being this, the, the cars you had to beat. I think that was a real tribute to, to Dale's dad and, uh, and really special for me to
1: be a part of that, that memory. I like that one. And, uh, just a couple more Twitter questions, and we will get into the Reddit ones. But this weekend, we saw Chase Elliott make that move to to miss a car or miss during practice. We saw Christopher Bell make that incredible save <laughs> yeah, during the save Xfinity cool. race. That was amazing. I, I,
0: I want to tell you how hard Chase's was because he he had like one more second of indecision, and and his indecision was was it was he should have been indecisive. There's a car nearly stopping, but still rolling. And if he rolls another foot and chase goes to the right, that's a big crash. So he, he he a lot of people say you gotta have fast reflexes to race a car, right? And my answer to that is no. You have to you have to take a second and say, now it's a second. It might even be a tenth of a second, but you have to process it. Sometimes your your fast reflex will get you in trouble because there just isn't room to get there. So you you need to you need to space a second out over about you know what would feel like five seconds to say okay he's rolling but he's slowing down I think I can get that way oh no I'm not going to make it that way I better go I mean that all happens in a tenth of a second but that's what you have to do you have to just you have to be calm and and then and then
1: react and so speaking of that someone wanted to know on Twitter. What do you consider the best racing move that you made in your career?
0: Uh, no doubt. I, I, it it was, it was not a highlight, you know. People, people might would say the, the 1996 pass to win the All-Star Race where Terry and Dale were racing hard for the lead. They went into turn one. Dale slipped up a little bit. And I was able to, to, to stick to the bottom of the racetrack now that that was a really cool move and a, and a great looking move on TV, and it was it was okay. I thought I thought I thought anybody would have probably been able to do that if they were in that position, but my my favorite move was more of a, a calculated one that that I was able to execute in the two thousand three Daytona five hundred. So we had had the fastest car, we led the most laps, and. We were in a position to win, but there's rain coming. Now, as we saw, I don't know, we've seen a few upset wins when the rains come, maybe as recently as Daytona with <laughs> <Leave it. laughs> with Justin. But so my point is when, when there's rain involved, more often than not, the dominant car doesn't win because somebody takes a chance, stays out, you know, uh, doesn't doesn't just fall along the lines of a normal race. They use strategy to get themselves in a position, and in this case, the fastest car was was me. And Dale Jr. had had issues uh, with with his car. He, I think his battery went dead or something. He was a couple laps down. So I tell you all that. Tell you this story. We're coming to the restart i guess it's about halfway, maybe lap 96, 7, 8, and obviously 100 was halfway. And so I'm running second, and Jimmy Johnson is leading. I think it was Jimmy Johnson. Yeah, Jimmy Johnson was leading. I was second. Dale Jr. is on the inside. That's when the lap cars used to double up. So Dale Jr. is right beside Jimmy Johnson and beside behind Dale Jr. beside me is Christian Fittipaldi. Now, in order to pass in two thousand three, it, it was really, really hard because, you know, we had we had taken all that arrow stuff off and, and you had to you had to have a really good car, make make a really nice move in order to get a pass. So I'm coming to get the, the green flag and in my mind I say Dell Junior's probably the best car here other than we were probably even and Christian Fittipaldi is a rookie, and he probably won't do this restart right. And so what I need to do is when they say go, Dale Jr. is going to go and probably get a little bit of a break on Jimmy, and I'm going to cut in between uh, Christian Fittipaldi and Dale Jr., push Dale Jr., go past Jimmy Johnson, and be leading this race when we come off turn four the next time. I did all that. And time my shifts perfectly and fit right in there and and got the lead and that lead that that pass that that maneuver was uh the reason I won that race there's a I think there's a crash or something a few laps later and then the rains came and so what's crazy like what's crazy about that move you'd have to if if you dug it up and saw it you'd be like well that wasn't a big deal but it had to be a big deal, and it had to work perfect in order for me to be able to do that. If I just stay up in line behind Jimmy, I don't know that I'm ever going to pass him, you know. And 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 I I was able to to use Dale to to pass Jimmy
1: and get that. So that's my favorite. Um, when I look at that trophy, it makes me smile. Did uh, you realize it in the car at that uh, moment that you just made an awesome move? I did. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't
0: I didn't really say anything or right. tell anybody. I just thought that was perfect. So every now and then you do something right. There's been a few go wrong, obviously. Uh, none more none more went wrong than the one at Bristol back in 1990 but um you know the the uh that that move is probably my favorite I've ever. Thanks for asking. I'm glad I got yeah. to re, re, remember that
1: story. That's a very cool one. So you want to you want to get to some of these Reddit questions? Sure. There were so many good ones. So sure. thank you to the Reddit community for uh, for chiming in. The first one that I wanted to uh, to ask you about is from P Bytes. These are all usernames. So he wants to know what statement about NASCAR makes you roll your eyes the most, whether from fans or media. I just
0: you know I just think that. People's people's description, I guess overall, of, was that a good race? Is that, you know, that, I I I'm just a fan of the racing, so I love the Watkins Glen race. Um, do I, you know, do I think that the the Saturday race with with no downforce was better than the Sunday with a lot? No, I haven't seen the Xfinity races be so. When they talk about, I guess I guess. What, what statement ro- makes me roll my eyes, whether it's from racers, race fans, or NASCAR, is, and I've said this before on this show, is discussing the package. That word it just irks me. And I don't understand why we're still, we're in August, CJ. It's August, Ford, and we're still talking about the package. If I'm a race fan, I'm like, wasn't it a package last year? Wasn't it a package in 1956? I mean, it's always something. Quit calling it that. Jeez, move on. Look at the racing. Look at the stats. Look the results. The margin of victories. What we're seeing on the track, we're seeing great race car drivers race great cars. The aerodynamics, the, 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 the engine. If I turn on my TV... At home, I don't. You know, how much power's got? Oh, about five hundred. Oh, cool. That's a lot. All right, let's see what they do with it. It it doesn't matter, and and it drives me nuts. So, rolling my eyes is when I when someone starts a conversation with the word package. Get over it. It's August, and you know what? There's probably gonna be some tweaks to the rules in two thousand twenty. Uh, And now we're going to are we going to talk about that package? Not on my watch. There was a there was a package then. And for some reason, that's all we can talk about now. And I just I just don't I don't understand it. But that's my two. That's my eye roller. You asked. There you have it. Don't say the word. Don't use the P word around me.
1: Okay. Uh, the next one comes in from Bubbalicious24, so props on the username on that one. He wants to know, what's the best or most memorable thing you have seen a driver do for the fans? Well, John Force on Sunday was a great example. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> he, and for the social media team at Fox. Kind of <laughs> he,
2: yeah, could, could you do that at 70 years old, jump a fence like that? Uh,
1: I can
0: at 56, but I don't know about at 70, but... You know, he and I probably both hit about the same amount of things, and we probably both sniffed more fumes than we should have. Um, so, <laughs> I I just I love that. There was uh, what would the social media thing say with the balls of a bull and the elegance of a milk cow? Mm-hmm. I would have added, or I did add on my Twitter, with the heart of a lion, and and the sweet spirit. Of a of a little old grandpa, yeah. that that he saw those fans and he just wanted to go, and be up in the middle of them and 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 celebrate with them. I, I love that for John Force. I, I love John Force. By the way, I I told a joke one one day, uh, we were doing something with Peak Peak Antifreeze. Uh, they, they're are our sponsors, and so uh, there's this joke I tell, and it's a it's a bit of a visual joke. So, if you're listening, it's not gonna make any sense but if if you're watching on YouTube, this is how it goes um and so anyway, there's these two guys, and they were walking down the street and they come and they got in and then he told his buddy he said, "We were just running through the woods and come around a corner, and a bear jumped out and went Roar! and I shit my pants, and his buddy said, "Really, really?" When the bear jumped out, he goes, "No, no, just now," and I went, Roar! So I told that joke. <laughs> <laughs> to, I told that joke to um, to to the crowd, and and John Force didn't laugh a bit, and he looked at me and he said, "That's just stupid." I didn't, I didn't funny. That's stupid, and I said, well, "I thought it was kind of funny," but he was he he is he was really funny that day, and he's got a great sense of humor, and I know he thought it was funny. He was just making fun of me.
1: Right, and so I, I want to say t- he helped out the digital team here with his highlights and clips from this weekend too. So that was well, he made me happy. Awesome. I know that 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 that's the favorite. That's my favorite thing I've seen lately.
0: I think the um, the the cool thing that's that's been going on is um, when drivers go up in the stands after getting the win, taking the checkered flag, giving it to a kid or something. I like I like all that. I think that's that's the type of interaction we need. But you know what I like mainly is when you just when you see when you catch a glimpse of a driver, say Jimmy Johnson, and he's trying to get to his car, um, but he's but he stops and says hello to people. I think it's a delicate balance because if he goes by them, he has to get there. That's his job, and and if he doesn't have time, he doesn't have time. But when you see him take time and and be be I always with with my level of success or, or fame or whatever, it I get more out of making somebody smile than anything else. So anytime that I can take a moment uh, at the racetrack or, or wherever and somebody somebody sees me and you see them when they see you they like light up oh that's that I know that's Michael And for me to be able to return that that sentiment, you know, that emotion to that person and saying, oh, well, that, that person knows me, appreciates me. So uh, I don't, I don't, I don't ever miss those moments because they're just, they're just something that you work hard for. And sometimes when you're, you know, in your twenties, you don't, you don't realize it. And then when you're in your fifties, you certainly want to make, make sure that you don't ever let one of those moments slip by.
1: And you say it means a lot to you. I know from experience that it means a lot to the fans, too. I have a signed copy of In the Blink of an Eye on my desk yeah. that you signed well before you knew who I was. And it was just as nice to me and my girlfriend, at, who's now my wife. Oh. She she loved you to death. Huh. And so just uh, that, that means a lot to the fans, too, Mikey.
0: Well, The, the, the Blink of an Eye was an um, interesting project back in 2011. Uh, wrote that book, took about six months, I guess, and, and folks that read it say that they feel like they're just sitting there talking to me, and, and the reason for that is I had this um, co-writer who I would tell stories to, like we're sharing stories right now, and he would write it all down, and he would hand hand me the, the, the chapter, if you will, back, and he would say, um, here you go, here there's this chapter, and I would read it, his words, and I'd say, well, that's not what I said. And he said, It's exactly what you said. It I, I taped it. I said, Well, that's not what I meant. And then I have I have like a um six or seven chapters laminated where I took his his uh framework, if you will, and then I worked inside of that and I wrote what what I meant. I wrote how I would have said it if I was just talking. And so, if if you read the book, and I know many of you have, uh, I hope you I hope you get that same feeling uh, that that I I got when it was done, when I when I was finished with it, I handed it in to the publisher, and I said, whether anybody buys that or not, it's exactly what I wanted to say from beginning to end. So here have it, and it made the New York Times bestseller list, which I was real proud of. There's an English teacher at Apollo High School in Owensboro, Kentucky. That heard I wrote a New York Times bestseller, and she said he did what? <laughs> because <laughs> school wasn't my strong suit, but uh, but the book was was cool. And now with the with the thanks to Monster Energy, it's it's a uh, it's a documentary. And Ford, did you know that on September 5th in New York City it's going to premiere, and then on September the 12th at like a thousand theaters across America, it's going to play. So if you're listening to this uh, podcast, I'm pretty sure there's a theater close enough to you where you can, you could go see the movie if you like. I think the, the book is a story uh, and, and the movie as well. It's about perseverance. You know, uh, there's no secret. I'd lost a lot of races before I finally won one. And, and the great thing about motivation and, and mentors, if you will, if, if, If you have someone that you respect and you look up to and they have an interest in you, the great thing about those type of stories, when I woke up on February 18th, 2001, no one had ever lost 462 races in cup and then won one. There'd been a couple of guys lose that many, but they never won. And when I woke up that morning, that February morning, my mindset was, they ain't beating me today. They're not gonna beat me again. And ultimately, they didn't. And I, and the reason why, obviously, I had a fast car, and and obviously, I'd proven to, to to Dale and and I think most all of the garage area that I was worthy, that I could win. But um, I had a guy that that believed in me and and made me a winner. And so that's I guess the movie i think really will show people uh, about our relationship our friendship more and and then just about persistence persevere you got to you got to just i think i say at the start of the movie you, just, you know you you got to keep going that's that's your only choice and if you don't choose to do that positively or if you don't choose to look at look at everything realistically and say all right, today if I finish 12th, I did my job. I got all I could get. And if there's a late caution or if it rains, maybe I can do something special. But then there's also days, whether you're talking about race car or just going into a business meeting to close that deal out, you walk in there and say, I got this. And, and that's based on fact. And, and optimism has to be rooted in, in what's realistic. You can be as optimistic if you want. If if it's not realistic, it's not going to work out. So, I I was realistic because I knew that I had the car and and I knew that um, I knew what I was doing. But I had another gear. I had something more because of the way uh, Dale believed in me. And so, I just I just can't wait for people to see it. I I uh, we made the the movie along with Monster Energy, and I cared about what. A couple of people thought when it was over, and that was Buffy, my ex, because she lived it with me, and and then the Dale and Kelly and the Earnharts, you know, them them appreciating the the story, and it's just basically, I mean, I would say it's it's it more honors Dale, and you know, it's it's a story to honor Dale, and I think we did a good job.
1: And if you're watching this on YouTube, uh, we'll make sure we put a link in the description where you can uh, win and where you can yeah, go see the movie. There's a trailer out now, too. It is. It's we great. probably figure out how to put we'll it We'll put a link in the description to the, to the trailer as well. So, Mikey, a couple more Reddit questions because, again, we had so many come through, and I loved them. But uh, this one's from anon97205, and they want to know, Who is the most talented driver without a ride today due to lack of sponsorship.
0: Oh, I don't know. There's there's talented drivers that, that get rides in cars that aren't competitive. And so we see them, you know, we see them struggle. But you also – one of my favorite things, whether it's in the trucks or the Xfinity, is just to – I'm constantly looking down to 15th to 20th to see who's creeping in there. What, what young driver is, is getting up to where – he's bumping up against the good cars, you know, cars that, that have budget and cars that, that have engineering support. And he's, he's able to drive his car up there and, and bump against those guys. And when you see them, it, it makes you uh, appreciate their ability. And you know that if if they get that next chance, obviously the poster child of, of this story is Ross Chastain. And I've been a big Ross Chastain fan since he showed up because I, I could tell he had it. And, and he was able to, to, to prove to the world uh, over, over the last couple of years that he indeed does have it. Uh, another great story, Brandon Brown, who races um, Xfinity now, he raced some trucks. He broke a track bar getting into turn three at Dover. Now, breaking a track bar is basically equal to your rear end housing. Not, it, it just comes out from underneath the car. And somehow he didn't wreck. And, and then I, I, that got my attention. I said, man, that is some great car control, or in that case, truck control. And and now he's he's running the Xfinity, and you you see him move up. Obviously, Ryan Sieg's another another guy. Jeremy Clements. I just I just love I love them taking whatever their family can afford to do and going out there and running. You know, running right up there in the middle of, of teams that have way more resources. Uh, rather than thinking about who doesn't have a ride, because that's kind of hard, because you can generally get a ride somewhere somehow. Uh, I like to watch those, those cats that, that make most of what their opportunity is.
1: Uh, another great question that came in from Twitter. This one's from Tom. He wants to know, if you were to own a race team again and you had three drivers to pick, who would they be? I answered this one, too. I answered it Kyle Busch, mm-hmm.
0: William Byron, and Bubba Wallace. I said because that would have been the most awesome meeting ever on Monday morning. <laughs> that <laughs> With, would be a fantastic yeah, Monday morning meeting. Meetings. Could it get any better than that? It, it couldn't, no. It couldn't. Cuz I remember when I had my team, if if my guys even got close to each other how nerve wracking that was and how how nervous you were that that it wasn't going to end up like it was supposed to. And so that 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 those would be my three drivers. And by the way, that'd be pretty Damn, three good drivers to
2: have yeah, on I your think team. You'd be
1: solid I think, on, on that one. Let me let me
2: ask you something right here, Michael Walter racing with you, Bubba, William, and Kyle walk in the door. How do you handle that meeting?
0: I say, well, we've got ourselves quite the situation here, don't we, boys? And you know what you hope that would happen is though, if those were your three drivers, you wouldn't be having that meeting. <laughs> you know that that they they would have figured out a way to sort it out. But there's always been uh, heck back from the 1990s. I remember when when Jeff Bodine and Kenny Schrader wrecked each other driving for Mr. Hendrick. So there, there's always been those moments when teammates have a uh, conflict and, 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 confrontation. But I think that overall they appreciate the drivers and, and understand what a big ball a NASCAR team is to get rolling down the road. And if you have something like that, 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 that hurts the momentum of that big ball and, I think they more more uh, more today maybe than, than ever because of the complexity of what it takes to have a team. I think they respect each other enough to, to do their best to try to keep that from happening. But if you're racing for the win, you know, is there double standards? Probably so. You know, you might move a guy a little bit if he's not your teammate, and you might not if he is. We certainly saw um, an interesting battle between, what was it, Carl and Kyle Busch at Richmond a couple years ago. When um, Kyle sort of went down into three and parked it, and Carl moved him out of the way, I think's the way that one went down. So you're gonna have it, and those meetings are gonna be tough. But if you're racing for a win, it's certainly much easier to to understand a little bit of contact than it would be if you're racing for 20th, or if you just wreck a guy uh, on purpose because of because he rubbed you up. I don't think I don't think that'd be cool.
1: And we're going to Michigan this weekend. Tell me the Lake Speed story.
0: Oh me, Lake Speed, yeah. So it was 95, I think, and Michigan track was tearing up. The The corners were turning to gravel. So through turns one and two, I think, there was literally, like, one groove and then gravel. And he, we were racing for 12th or something, which I did a lot back then, which wasn't bad but wasn't great. Uh, and he went in the corner and lost his car. And ran me up into the, to the dirt, into the gravel. And, you know, you run nearly 200 miles an hour there. And I somehow saved it. And it was like with two to go. And I just, I didn't get over it yet. I, I was so mad that, that he almost wrecked me and then beat me. And, and jeopardized me tearing up my car. And so I got out of my car First of all, I pulled him over like I was a police officer. He was going this way, and I stopped right there, cut in front of him. So I hop out, and I go back there, and I li- literally was just going to tell him how mad I was. And when I got there, he had on a full-faced helmet with uh, a shield, which that was kind of new. We had been wearing uh, one of those helmets where he wore bubble goggles in there, and, you know, you had the chin strap here. So he had on this shield, and... You know, I just I saw the shield and I and I and he had on a pair of sunglasses too, which I thought was interesting. And I just I, I lost my mind for a second. And I would never hurt Lake Speed. He's he's not as he's not a big guy, plus he's not a, a violent man. He's quite the opposite. He's he's a great Christian, loving feller. And I would never hurt Lake Speed and he knows this. And so I just hit his shield. To, to to express my disappointment and my displeasure and then I hit it again because the first one kind of helped me feel that way so then I, I walk away and I'm like I told him and I'm walking back toward the pit and this NASCAR official still there today Buster Otten Buster grabs me and he says come with me I'm like I am I'm coming with you where are we going he's like we're going to the NASCAR trailer okay what for? He said, you'll see when we get there. Well, I didn't know the whole – I mean, I guess I just didn't consider the whole world was watching with cameras. And we get to the trailer, and my best my best memory or best moment from this terrible thing I did, we walk in the trailer, and so it's – I think it's Dick Beatty and, and uh, maybe Les Richter's in there and I don't know, possibly Helton but I know who was there, Uh, Mr. France, Bill France Jr. was sitting there, and he was as happy as as I've ever seen him. He was giddy over what I had done, and and he said, what happened? He said, I said, nothing, nothing, just told Lake I was pissed off. He said, told him you punched him. He said, I said, no, I didn't punch him, and I stopped there. I did not punch him, punched his helmet. That was my that was my just. I said I didn't punch I didn't punch him, and Mr. France went really really, and he got his uh, remote control for the VCR or VHS whatever we had back then, and he pushed play, and it showed me punching Lake Speed, and so he said we'll be in touch tomorrow about a fine, and I remember I was I was laying in bed Monday morning in in uh, North Carolina here, uh, and it was a rainy day, and the phone rang, and it was it was. Uh, I think it was Beatty. I don't remember who it was. Somebody from NASCAR. We're going to find you 10 grand for punching Lake Speed. And in 1995, I don't know if you know how much 10 grand was, but it was a lot. And (laughs) so I never paid it all year long. And they said, okay, your point fund money's ready. You going to send us 10 grand or you want us to take 10 out of it? I said, all right, I'll just send it to you then. Right.
1: So. You said you said it made you feel a little bit better during while it was happening. Was it worth ten grand?
0: No, it wasn't. <laughs> not, that's like when you ask about when you think about people doing dumb things. That 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 was dumb, um, and I, I didn't I didn't like myself for doing that. And I apologized to Lake, and we're we're fine now. Uh, we're, we're buddies. That's been it's been a long time ago, but it it just won't go away. All right. Well, on that note, CJ, <laughs> thank you for coming along. Appreciate all you do for Fox Sports, all you do for the NASCAR world. Thanks for gathering up the questions and letting the fans' voices be heard. We appreciate it.
1: It is absolutely my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Ford, thanks
0: for your insight, too. Appreciate all you do for the Michael Waltrip podcast here, Waltrip Unfiltered. You've uh, you've been a lot of help, so thank you, sir.
2: Man, it's been a lot of fun, and uh, what a great show we
0: had today. Yeah, I enjoyed our show today. So if you enjoyed our show today, be sure – to tell your friends to add us via their favorite podcast app. Also, watch all of our content on Fox Sports Twitter, Instagram, you name it. Go to Reddit. If you have more questions for us, give them guys a shout-out. And uh, also, don't forget this video content. If you can't get enough of our voice and you want to see our beautiful faces, this video content will be available at Fox Sports YouTube channel. So I can't wait for next week. I love these opportunities to visit with NASCAR racers. Look forward to seeing you there.